0: A listener production. Hi, and welcome to Broadsheet Sydney around town. I'm Broadsheet's editorial director Katya Vuctel, filling in today for Emma Joyce. Broadsheet editor and resident movie buff, Audrey Payne joins us today to chat about what to watch now, from some major Hollywood blockbusters to binge worthy series. Audrey, welcome. Thank you. So, Audrey, you've actually just been in the States Mm -hmm. at a couple of big film festivals. Did you see some good ones that will make it to Australia at some point?
1: I was very lucky, yes. I went to the Telluride Film Festival in September. And, yeah, so many amazing movies. It's a really curated festival. So there's The Holdovers, which is the new Alexander Payne movie with Paul Giamatti, which is, like, a very sweet story about a grumpy teacher (laughs) and a student who both get stuck at um, a boarding school over the holidays and they don't want to be there. I also got to see Perfect Days, which played at Mia and is going to come out later in the year, but it's um, a Japanese movie that Vim um, Bender directed and it's their selection for the um, international feature Oscar. Yeah, it's just a great movie. coming. I feel out. like, yeah, I feel like. I'm so excited. <laughs> I feel like your social
0: media, I, I wrote down a number of names, but let's talk about some that are out mm-hmm. now that people can watch. I wanted to start with the new Martin Scorsese film, a three hour crime film. about Mm -hmm. murders of a Native American tribe, the Osage people, in the 1920s. This has had rave reviews Mm -hmm. since it premiered. Are the reviews justified?
1: Kills of the Flower Moon. I think the reviews are extremely justified. Um, This movie's been really anticipated. It debuted at Cannes earlier this year and then kind of didn't screen anywhere. Um, I know the programmers at Tellyred wanted to get it and they weren't able to, so that was kind of a big drama, not drama, So, I think what people are going to be worried about with this movie is that it is just under three and a half hours long. And I will say, having seen it just recently, I had to go and double check that that was correct because I was like, no way, they must mean two and a half hours. It did not feel like that at all. It doesn't drag, really great pacing, really amazing performances. Like, I feel like it's Martin Scorsese. Like, what am I going to say? And this stars Leonardo
0: DiCaprio, Mm -hmm. it stars Robert De Niro, and also a couple of newer faces. So, tell us about some of these characters.
1: Yeah, I think the most exciting performance for me in the movie is Lily Gladstone. So she is a Native American actress who was in a film called Certain Women that was directed by Kelly Reichardt, who also recently did Showing Up, which um, access members got to go to a screening of at MIFF. And it's kind of, I don't want to say a breakout performance for her because she's been around for a while, but... I did read some profiles on her and she was saying that before she got cast in this, she was ready to go study data analytics and was like really ready to give up on acting. And now she's being like put forward as a potential, almost a lock for a um, lead actress nominee at the Academy Awards. So I think her performance in the film in and of itself is like worth seeing the movie for.
0: Martin Scorsese often works with Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm -hmm. How do we see Leo in this one?
1: So he plays Lily Gladstone's husband, and essentially the movie is about this really horrific period of American history um, where there were a bunch of murders of Native American people over oil money because they had the land rights.
0: It's based on a true story. It's
1: based on a true story. It's based on a nonfiction book of the same name. Yeah, and Leo is, I guess, kind of involved in these murders. I don't want to give away too no, much. No, don't give away. Yeah. <laughs> I don't
0: want to have any spoilers. And what about Bobby De Niro?
1: Good old Bobby De Niro. <laughs> Bob, as I like to call him, plays Leo's uncle. So they're both kind of co-conspirators in this. And um, I will say, like, you watch this movie and you're like, damn, that's Robert De Niro. Like, he's so good. One surprise performance. It's not a surprise that like, he's in the movie. It was just like, such a delightful scene. Brendan Fraser plays a lawyer and it's it's not a funny movie. It's very serious subject matter. Mm. But his scene was hilarious. It's like him and John Lithgow going at it together, and it's it was so good. And it comes at the perfect time where you're like, oh, a lot of very serious stuff has happened. And yeah, Brendan Fraser, I'm here well, for okay, it. Okay, well, I'll
0: be looking out for that yeah. scene. That's in *Sentiments* from October 19. Yes. Now, Dumb money. Mm-hmm. Now, this is another one with a bit of an all-star cast. Mm-hmm. You've got Seth Rogen. You've got Pete Davidson, Vincent D'Onofrio. I love Vincent D'Onofrio. America Ferreira, Nick Offerman, Sebastian Stan, mm-hmm. Shailene Woodley, and Paul Dano, who I feel like is one of those actors. I mean, he was, I always think of him from Little Miss Sunshine um, and There Will Be Blood, but he was also just in The Fableman's, Steven Spielberg's movie.
1: He's so good in The Fableman.
0: And I think that he's one of those actors who you see him and you still don't always know his name. Like, I think all this time Mm -hmm. he's gone through major acting gigs. I still think if you're not a movie buff, you're like, I know that guy. He's been in every single major, like, major movies for the last decade. He's meant to be really good in this. What did you think of it?
1: He's great in this. He So dumb money is about the um, GameStop meme stock, which happened kind of mid-COVID in 2021. So dumb money is a term that is used within finance to refer to retail investors who are people who aren't investing through a financial institution. They're not
0: bankers, they're no. not hedge fund managers. They're like
1: people like you and
0: I. Yep, we're sitting they're sitting at home, might be in their pajamas yeah. trading stocks.
1: And in the covid period, there's a combination of things was like people had more time to be at home and also this app called Robinhood started in the states which made it very easy for people to day trade. Without going through an institution, so it was like literally an app. You and I could download it on our phone. We could be like, okay, I want to buy an Apple stock right now, and for a million dollars, done. Yeah. Very easy. Yeah, maybe not Apple stock, yeah. but like it just made it super easy for people to trade. So a lot of people who were like at home had access to these apps. You know, it, COVID was a really hard time for a lot of people, but also a lot of people weren't spending as much as they usually were. Yeah. So looking for things to do with money. Paul Dano's character, Keith Gill, was a YouTuber who had the name Roaring Kitty on YouTube. He wore like a tie-dye t-shirt with cats on it. And he started sharing his investments and his Excel spreadsheets very publicly through his YouTube channel. So he did this thing where he put out a YouTube video that somehow gained a lot of traction where he was talking about how undervalued GameStop was. And this was a belief that this person truly had. And GameStop is a gaming... It's kind of like an EB Games yeah. Um, in the States. And, you know, retail game stores are not historically, like, the best investments, mm. especially now that you can buy a lot of games online. You don't even really need to go. So basically, a lot of people rallied behind him. They were like, yes, yes, we love this. We're all going to put our money into the stock. He got this kind of cult following where people were like, well, if he's not selling, I'm not selling. And it just kind of created this crazy situation in the market where the GameStop share price got really inflated. While that's happening, you have people working for hedge funds who have kind of bet against against GameStop. So their investments are kind of reliant on the fact that this stock is going to crash eventually and they're going to make a bunch of money. Because these retail investors were kind of inflating the price of the stock, these hedge fund people were at risk Of losing billions of dollars.
0: Yeah, because all these, the way like those those bets work is Mm. you are betting on it to crash by a certain time. Right. Like you can't just wait years for it to crash. There is a certain period of time where that stock needs to plummet Mm -hmm. in order for you to make your money.
1: Yeah. So the movie follows different sets of characters and they're based on real people, but each character that's followed is representative of like, there are two people with really big student loan debt who the movie follows closely, and there is a nurse who's struggling to, you know, make a living and is an essential worker in this Mm. COVID time. And then it also follows the hedge fund people and Paul Dano's roaring Kitty character. So it kind of goes through how everyone is experiencing this crazy meme stock moment.
0: Yeah. Why it drew so much international media attention Mm. was that these sophisticated hedge funds were being outplayed by the guy in the tie-dye t-shirt yeah. and his followers. So it was a good movie.
1: <laughs> it's a great movie. It's directed by Craig Gillespie, who also did I, Tonya. Um, oh, yeah. I loved that movie. Yeah, and it's like very much his style. There are some like great needle drops. I thought it was going to be a little bit too, I don't know, uncomfortable to be taken back to COVID times. I would like to move on, but it, it wasn't like that. It was a very good movie. And if anyone likes big it's very much in that vein.
0: When you were describing it, that's what I was mm, thinking. The yeah. Big Short, even the Nike movie in some ways. Uh-huh. There's there's so many yes. movies coming out like this, which are these kind of very recent history,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, these historical, but very close to the time they're happening, yeah. and vivid and bright, and basically just they want to try and make them really entertaining. One of the ones I want to talk about, which mm-hmm. you haven't watched yet, mm-hmm. is the Supermodel series, yes. which is currently on Apple+. Plus. So this is a series about... The Supermodels, so Naomi Campbell, Cindy Crawford, Linda Evangelista and Christy Turlington. Just four episodes, which is so great and so digestible. I'm mm-hmm. um, two episodes in and it basically starts in the 1980s. I don't know if this is interesting to people who didn't grow up with The Supermodels. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I but, didn't grow
1: up with The Supermodels and I am so interested and I'm shocked that I haven't watched this yet. Yeah, I think it is.
0: I think one of the most interesting things about it is these were people that you saw walk on catwalks and on a million magazine covers but I could not tell you if I'd ever heard their voices. Hmm. You know, I I actually heard them speak. So it's just really interesting to you basically watching Naomi and Linda and Cindy and Christy. I'm using them by their first names if I know them, but that's how people started to know them. You didn't need their last names because they were so big. And they're just kind of talking to camera about their experiences and how they rose to fame. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's really, really interesting. This is not the kind of series you need to watch and like it gets really serious and deep. You know, they address elements of the modelling world during that time, everything from the hours to eating disorders, to fainting on set, to some of the predatory behaviour by the agencies and men who were in, in the business mm. with them. But it's really about the story of these four women and how they basically were kind of plucked from obscurity or in some cases put themselves forward to be in this world um, and then how they took ownership of it and and basically didn't kind of fade into the background, they really changed the game for models and and kind of made them into businesses. One of the things I have a problem with is I feel sometimes the chronology is a bit funny. Hmm. Like I feel like sometimes you're watching it and it's like, wait, were they already really famous now or not? That, right. That's a bit confusing. So do they
1: stick to the 90s or do they talk about their careers?
0: I think the final episode is about their legacy and mm. they also start to move into the kind of waif period. So what happens is you've got those models who were kind of amazonian style mo- like that right. that look uh-huh. and then you get the Kate Moss era which is a very very different look yeah yeah I mean some of the things you see like you see all there you know very early the first shoots they had there's one that's got like Sydney Crawford's modeling card and print like printed on it it says you know excellent skin legs and hair you know right. like and it's it's very much like this is a product mm-hmm. and her legs are good and her skin's good and you know Maybe don't worry about the hair. It's, it was really interesting. Right. One of the best parts about this series is also the incredible photographers that were part of all their stories and their journeys, and and some of the designers. And
1: do they interview the photographers and the? Yep, designers, they interview design? the
0: photographers. They interview the designers that are still alive. Mm-hmm. The racism around Naomi Campbell, just in terms of the fact that you know she was good enough for this magazine cover, but not for this one; she mm. was good enough for this catwalk, but not for this one. You know, Linda Evangelista and Christy Turlington at one point basically said, "Well, we're not going to walk this runway or do this campaign if Naomi is not in it." So there was oh, a I lot didn't of realize
1: that that's awesome. They, yeah. There was a
0: lot of these women were really good friends, and mm-hmm. I didn't realize that until watching the series. Right. Like they were incredibly close and kind of came together through this period. But it's one of those ones where you don't have to think too hard. You know, you can kind of sit down and enjoy just watching also great scenes. If you love fashion, mm. you're you're getting to witness some really great footage from the 80s. You know, you've got just the back the backgrounds of these kind of catwalk shows and it and it also just talks about the fact that, you know, also if you if you care about fashion history, you've got the change from the women just being there to wear the clothes mm. to it then becoming about the women themselves. One of the best things is they talk about and show they're they're different walks so Ooh. it used to be it used to be that you if you were a print model you didn't mm-hmm. walk on a runway and then in the 80s that changed and designers started realizing no we want the person who's on the cover of vogue to also be in our show and they just show the you know the, the show naomi who's apparently again I, I think the walk's amazing but in in the world of modeling she had this reputation for mm-hmm. this incredible walk and you see her moving down that runway with such like the look in her eyes. And it's, if you love fashion, but also that kind of era of, and you're kind of into that nostalgia.
1: It's great. Oh my god, I recommend it. I'm I just so went excited.
0: on a very long rant about that.
1: <laughs> um, I want to talk about this movie called Scrapper, which I actually hadn't heard about. And then two people in the office this past week mentioned it to me and then it came up in another conversation. So I kind of texted my Hollywood insiders and I was like, what is this? What is everyone talking about? And it's just, Beautiful movie that actually screened at the Sydney Film Festival and the Melbourne International Film Festival. It's from a first-time director called Charlotte Regan. She's only 29 years old. And kind of a nice counter to Kills of the Flower Moon. It's under 90 minutes, so it's you don't have to block out a whole evening, mm. morning, day. Um, and it follows this 12-year-old girl who's kind of dealing with the loss of a parent and she's living on her own. She's kind of stealing bikes to get by. But it's very funny because you kind of get that child's perspective and yeah I just loved it so much wait so you
0: watched this already it's not on next on your watch list
1: yeah I watched this last night oh you already (laughs) watched it okay yeah um and it's out in theaters now and I think that it was like one that definitely flew under my radar and was just so beautiful and like so exciting to see a first-time filmmaker have such like a beautiful Movie
0: and then we were going to wrap up with the Wonka trailer. So tell us about that.
1: Okay, so Timothy Chalamet is playing Willy Wonka, and it's directed by the same person who did the Paddington movies. Delightful. Yeah. So and it's a musical. Is it? Yeah, I know they've hidden that in the trailer. Like there is isn't all of music in the trailer, but it wait.
0: Is. So he's he's singing a lot.
1: He's singing, singing. Who, Timmy, who's Charlie? Do we know? I actually that is such a good question. I almost feel like there isn't a Charlie. It's the story of how Willy Wonka got started.
0: Oh, oh okay. Mm. It's the right. Okay, so it's the pre-story.
1: It's a pre-story. Okay.
0: Interesting. Yeah. We'll see we'll see Timothy in theaters as Willy Wonka. Yeah. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell your friends and leave us a review. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening now.